concussion is a clinical diagnosis made after a head injury. It usually resolves within seven to 10 days. In the absence of strong evidence, most recommendations on the management and recovery from concussion are based on international expert consensus. A recent recovery programme developed for athletes offers a way to guide people back to school, work, and then sport. I'm Helen McDonald, clinical editor at the BMJ. And in this podcast, I'm joined by two of the authors of a recent practice article, Simon Kemp, Chief Medical Officer for the Rugby Football Union, and John Brooks, academic GP trainee and former professional rugby player. John, do you want to introduce yourself first? Okay, so I'm John Brooks. I'm currently an academic clinical fellow, uh, GP trainee, um, but previously I completed a PhD on the epidemiology of uh, injuries in professional rugby union, um, but I was also a professional rugby player for five years, most recently with, with Harlequins and, and the England Saxons. Um, so I've been concussed three times, uh, all of them as a direct result of direct head trauma playing rugby. And Simon? So I'm the Chief Medical Officer of the Rugby Football Union. Um, I'm a specialist sport and exercise medicine doctor. And before that, I was a general practitioner with an interest in sport and exercise medicine. Um, My last two concussions have been falling off a bicycle. So really, in terms of coming to why you wrote on this topic, you've got professional and personal experience of of this situation, both of you. So tell us at a professional level now, is there a simple way to sum up what concussion is? How is it defined? Medics love to define things. Con- concussion essentially is a, a traumatic brain injury. It results in a, a temporarily altered brain function, um, but it typically resolves over seven to ten days. Um, and essentially, when you're concussed, the brain releases chemicals that change how the nerve cells work, which consequently cause um, symptoms and issues around thinking and remembering mood, sleep, behaviour and consciousness could all be affected. Um, but commonly people report headaches and, and altered balance. But interestingly, loss of consciousness occurs in, in less than 10% of these incidents. So, so that's less common than some people might imagine. I think one of the key points here is that this isn't a, a unitary injury. So the symptoms and signs are very dependent on which area of the brain is affected. Interesting. So um, it, it, it might be that loss of consciousness is affected, but equally, if the, if the brain cells that have been um, damaged are those controlling sleep, you may present with symptoms of poor sleep, or equally, you can present with mood disturbances. So the, the range of symptoms and signs is very broad, and increasingly, our thinking about this injury involves assessment of what system or subsystem within the brain is involved. And how often does it happen? Are there good data to describe how common concussion is? There's, there's been a massive educational focus, particularly within rugby, um, from, the, from the RFU, from the Rugby Football Union, which is aimed at increasing the awareness of players, coaches, teachers, referees and medics, allowing them to identify concussed players. If we talk about rugby and the school of community game, we're, we're talking about maybe one concussion per per every 10 matches on average, which is significantly lower than, than the incidence in the professional game. And I, I think the other thing here is that comparisons between sports and between activities in terms of risk is really problematic mm. because the data collection is so variable. Um, 
Sports that look to have a higher reported risk of concussion may be sports that have got better systems to capture concussion. Or they may be sports with a higher right. risk. And you talked about your experience, um, Simon, of being knocked off a bike. Um, and you talked about your experience on the rugby pitch, um, John. And in each case, you probably pitched up at a different place and saw different types of doctors. So who do you see as being um, the doctors who need to know about how to recognise concussion or how to monitor its um, recovery? T typically, people are either assessed by first aiders or healthcare practitioners at the sports setting. But I suppose the, the next port of call is often the emergency medicine department. Um, patients are typically discharged with some generic advice around recovery and what they should expect. And then if things don't settle quickly, this group is the group that may seek advice from their general practitioners. Uh, and actually, the, the reason for writing this article, so it's focused really on, on GPs who may see patients a few days after they've been diagnosed with concussion. And there's been recent guidelines from the Sport and Recreation Alliance, which have recommended that a doctor should assess concussed children before a return to sport or other activities with a, risk, a predictable risk of concussion. And, and similar guidance from, from national governing bodies would recommend that adults are also reviewed and assessed in a, in a similar way. So what, what are the broad issues that the GP is going to need to think about touching on in this consultation? So, so first of all, it's important just to consider whether there's anything more severe that may have been missed. So is there uh, an intracranial hemorrhage or, or a serious uh, cervical spine injury? Assuming that's not the case, then it's, it's important to gather some history information about the incident and, and whether the patient is symptomatic when they see you, um, but also what symptoms they reported when they were actually concussed. And then it's a case of, uh, of assessing those, those symptoms. And we've, we've referenced the, the SCAP3 tool in the article, which is a sport concussion assessment tool, which allows GPs and other medical professionals to have a more structured battery of tests to monitor recovery. And I would particularly um, signpost them towards section three, a, a list of symptoms which can be run through by the GP um, with the patient in front of you to see if they have any symptoms. Um, and one thing I found very useful in your article was um, a clear explanation, I suppose, to give to the patient. And in this case, possibly also a, a carer, perhaps a, a mum or a dad, about what concussion is and what its natural history is and what at this stage, two or three days on from the diagnosis, they might expect their son to be feeling. Um, so can you talk to us a bit about what you would just normally expect? So I think this is one of the really important things here is to be able to reassure if that's appropriate. So, um, you know, I think this group would have a normal standard neurological examination. Um, they may well still be complaining of a headache. They may well find that concentrating, thinking, doing their homework on a Sunday night makes their headache worse. They may report some dizziness. All of these are symptoms that are listed on the SCAT-3 and reflect 
incomplete recovery of the brain subsystem that we talked Let's about. Let's just pause on the SCAT3. Spell that out for me. Tell me, tell me what it is. So the SCAT3, uh, the standardized concussion assessment tool, okay. was a tool, is a tool, that the concussion in sport group, which is one of the which is really the key consensus group for sports-related concussion, produced as a tool to aid practitioners to both assess concussion acutely, but also in a secondary role to monitor recovery. Um, And it's a tool that looks to capture uh, a number of areas, but principally provides you with a symptom checklist, a reasonably easily doable test of cognitive function, and a balance assessment. Um, and this is freely available online, the, the it, tool? It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a free download. Um, and we're not saying, uh, so, so validation of this tool is ongoing, but in the absence of any other better, more useful, or better validated tools, we would point the general practitioners to this tool. And the particularly the symptom checklist, I think has got some quite helpful, just um, practical questions um, that, that you can ask. Um, give us just a few examples of the types of things it asks you about. So it asks about the common symptoms that we've talked about, things like headache and dizziness, um, balance problems, but it also uh, asks more subtle things like, uh, are you feeling like you're in a fog? Or do you just not feel right? Um, Do you have difficulty concentrating? And then also asks uh, questions about sleep. Um, Things that may not necessarily, or irritability or sadness, things that may not necessarily come out unless you ask directly about them. And I I think uh, one of the subtleties here is that um, non-concussed people may report some of these Mm. symptoms. So you you know, although ideally you would want your patient to report none for any of them, um, really what you're looking for them to do is to be back to their own baseline level of symptoms. Um, So assuming that nothing concerning has popped up on this, perhaps there are still some symptoms that are ongoing, but the trend is that things are a little bit better than the day that the injury happened and perhaps a bit better than the day after that. Um, how do you explain what the patient should expect at this stage? So I, I think it's perhaps more useful to um, to suggest a recovery progression. Mm-hmm. Um, and in essence, what you're looking to do in the acute first two or three days after the injury is to to to, to rest the brain. Um, and and particularly with this young group who may be expected to return to quite a demanding scholastic academic program if they're still symptomatic in that first two to three days you may want to consider time away from school or adaptation to school Um, you'd certainly advise them against exercise in the first two to three days stress the importance of advice of avoiding sport with a predictable risk of head impact and probably ask them to minimize their reading and screen watching and gaming time because um, the emerging evidence suggests that by doing that, you enable the symptoms to settle more quickly. We're not expecting them to do nothing, um, but, but we are advising a period of relative and physical rest for the first two to three days. And again, the emerging evidence suggests that if you can deliver that, their recovery is shortened. And the, the important thing with all of this 
recovery and and graduated return is is to monitor symptoms and if there's anything that they're doing differently that then provokes symptoms then it's important that that is then reduced and they sort of go back to the previous stage to, to minimise the symptoms that they're getting. We've taken this patient through from feeling pretty bad when they come come and see you and hopefully we're now a week or two down the line and they're feeling pretty much normal again. They're back at school um, and they're free from their concussion symptoms but they haven't started um, back doing more physical activities and the example in your scenario was a was a keen 16-year-old sportsman so he must be getting pretty edgy around the house now and hassling to to get back to football practice so what um what do we advise what do we do with him now so the the the, the principle here is that there's a graduated return to sporting activity and certainly those activities with a predictable risk of head injury and effectively you go through five stages 48 hours per stage as a child or youth and what you're doing is you're increasing the level of activity and assessing or confirming that it doesn't reprovoke symptoms. It's important to recognize that sometimes this, particularly if you go by the guidance, this might be the first time that a patient has presented to you as the medical practitioner because they're looking for assessment prior to returning to to their sport with a predictable risk of head injury. So if that's the case, you're first of all making sure that the the patient is symptom-free at rest and after exercise, or any of the exercise that they've done, and that they they don't have any symptoms that are not normal for them. So we're not really just talking about contact sport um, because... I mean, I'm a netball player. <laughs> it would be advocated that netball is a non-contact sport, but but you do contact with people accidentally. So we're not talking about whether a predictable risk isn't that contact is part of the game. A predictable risk is really um, if there's a chance that you're bumping into people, especially at, at speed. That would be my view based on the current evidence. Yeah, okay. When you're assessing people before their return to sport or people who have then started to have issues into that return to sport. Um, you mentioned in your article keeping your eye out for those who may have more troublesome or persistent symptoms. How um, how do you spot those and who who should you send where if things aren't improving as you would expect? So I think a neurology referral would be appropriate if the patient it still has concussion symptoms that are persisting beyond 10 days after their initial injury, um, and if they're having difficulties returning to their to their normal work or study, um, and if they're persistently failing to progress through the graduated return to sporting activity, um, so the, I would also refer into a to a neurologist for further assessment and management. But also, it's important to to take a history from the the patient about their concussion history, and if they're repeatedly getting concussions, particularly if the uh, if it seems to be an innocuous cause, um, or in children and young people who've sustained two or more concussions in 12 months, again, it would be prudent to do an onward referral to a neurologist for, for further assessment and management. There are some subtleties here. So um, often symptoms may develop as secondary symptoms rather than as a result of the primary concussion. 
and it's important to tease these out. So in a 16-year-old who's struggling to return to full-time schoolwork, who might be in an exam year, the inability to participate as fully as they did previously may bring with it some psychological stresses that didn't exist in advance. And there can be secondary symptoms that may well not be related to the primary injury mm. that need to be identified and treated. Um, if the problem relates to balance or dizziness, then the ability to identify common vestibular causes of problems with balance or dizziness, such as benign paroxysmal positional vertigo and treat them is also important. Equally, it's important to identify those cases where trauma is inducing migraine that is manifesting as concussion-type symptoms and treat and advise appropriately. So that group that's not settling with simple measures really needs to be evaluated by people with expertise in teasing out um, the contribution of the different brain systems and advising on active treatment because there is good evidence that active intervention can return these people uh, to work or young children to school um, quicker than just allowing things to settle on their own if they're not settling quickly. That's very interesting. You've been listening to Simon Kemp and John Brooks talk about the article Managing Recovery from Concussion, now published on thebmj.com. If you've enjoyed this, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes to make sure you don't miss out. You can also find our full back catalogue on SoundCloud. We'll be back with more education next week. In the meantime, thanks for listening. <laughs>